today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Do not try to rush the will of God in your life. When we try to do that, I guarantee you, we're going to mess things up. Because God has a better plan than you and I could ever imagine. Allow God to work His time frame. Allow God to work His will in our life. He'll let you know. He'll give you clarity. He'll give you, again, agreement with another brother or another sister. He'll give you an agreement in prayer. He'll give you agreement through the Spirit speaking to your life. He'll give you agreement through a confirmation through His Word. He'll let you know His will and His timing. You are told to wait patiently on the Lord because His timing is perfect. What happens when you are impatient and take things into your own hands? In his message today, Pastor David guarantees you will mess things up. Who are you to try and play the role of God? His plans are so much better than yours. He sees and knows all things and works these things together for your benefit. Be encouraged that God will let you know with clarity His plan for you. And you only need to be patient. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Warrior King, The Man of Flesh. David, the warrior king, the man of flesh. We're in 2 Samuel this evening as we are going through the entire Bible. The king is dead, but yet there is a new chapter that's being written for the nation of Israel and comes up King David. So long live the king. Now, as we enter into 2 Samuel chapter 1, we find David, he's just returned from fighting the Amalekites and then he receives the news that Saul was dead. Now, while David was staying in Ziglag, we read there in the opening verses that an Amalekite came to him with the news that Saul was dead. Now, this was a, by this Amalekite, it was a vain effort to win David's favor because we hear that this Amalekite tells David that he was the one that finished Saul's life. Look at verse six of chapter one of 2 Samuel. When the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance, I just happened to be on Mount Gilboa on that day. There was Saul, and he was leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. So in other words, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Happened to look down, saw Saul. He he wasn't doing too good, didn't look too healthy. And I could see, man, that the Philistines were coming toward him. And so he says, and so when Saul looked looked behind him, he saw me and he called to me. And he said, uh, and I said, here I am. And then in verse eight, and he said to me, who are you? And so I answered, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. Verse 10, so I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. 
while I was there, I decided I'd go ahead and take his crown and uh, off of his head and the bracelet that was on his arm. And I brought them here to my Lord. Verse 11, therefore David took hold of his own clothes and he tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son. For the people of the Lord and for the house of all of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Now, there's no doubt that this Amalekite had been on the battlefield. Probably he was going through right at the end of the battle, probably looting the bodies of the fallen ones that were there. And then he comes upon Saul and his armor bearer. Now, undoubtedly, he had to have gotten there before the Philistines because, again, the Philistines took Saul and his son, cut off their heads. They stripped them of their armor. They would have taken everything. So if he got there before the Philistines, Saul still had his crown, still had his kingly bracelet on. And so this Amalekite, he figured, well, if I grab these things and I bring them over to David, maybe I can use them to barter my safety with King David, because after all, he was an Amalekite. David just got through fighting the Amalekites. He was an enemy of David, but he figured, hey, I'm going to try and do what I can to save my own skin. But the problem was, he was wrong. He was dead wrong. He claimed that he had killed Saul, when in reality, he hadn't killed Saul. And so that trickery that he tried to pass by, the deceit that he tried to shove onto David actually ended up costing him his own life. He would have been much better simply to say, I found King Saul, he was already dead, but before the Philistines got there, I grabbed his crown, I grabbed his bracelet. He would have been fine. But he thought that he would get some honor from David by saying, I was the one, I killed Saul for you, by the way. I got rid of Saul for you, by the way. He didn't realize David's heart. He didn't realize David's passion, even with all the things that had gone on in the midst of it. So at this point, you wonder if that messenger really realized that it's not going to go too good for him, at least not as as good as what he had hoped for. He thought that he was going to gain favor, but instead he garnered the wrath of David at this point in time. David himself, he he had had two opportunities at least to kill Saul. Remember, two different times, once when Saul was in the cave relieving himself and he came and he cut off a corner of his robe and then after Saul left, uh, David was able to taunt him and say, hey, I, I could have killed you, Saul, but I didn't because I don't have anything against you. I'm trying to live at peace with you. And Saul feigned that he would uh, you know, be friendly with David, but a little while later we find out, no, he's back after David. Then again, at another time, Saul is in his camp. It's in the evening. He's asleep. His armor bearer is asleep. David and one of his men snuck up. They stole Saul's jug, a water jug and his spear. He could have killed Saul just as easily, but he didn't. That was the heart of David because he honored the position of the king and he trusted in the sovereignty of God to bring about the change in that great timetable of God. He had been anointed king. He knew that he was going to be king. But he also knew that that was God that was going to place him there, just as God had called him. So now he hears this Amalekite, and he hears that he's taken this death of Saul so lightly. Look down at verse 14. So David said to him, how was it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? I believe that all the blood rushed from this Amalekite at this point in time as he's standing before David. Then David called one of the young men and said, come near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, 
Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Then in verses 19 through 27, David sings a song of lamentation over the death of Saul, the loss for Israel, for Saul and for Jonathan. Throughout this whole song, David lifts up and he honors both Saul and Jonathan in every way possible. There's absolutely no animosity here. There's no hatred here. There's no slander here. Through all of it, David knew that in the end of all things, God is in charge. You know, the lesson that you and I ought to learn in that very thing is I don't care what kind of enemy in the flesh comes after you. I don't care what kind of attacks you get in the flesh from anyone. We are to bless and not curse. Jesus told us that we're to bless our enemies. Do good to those who mistreat you. And that's the very heart that David had there. Had the opportunity twice to kill him. And when Saul finally does die, David is truly, truly sorrowful. He's not putting on an act for anybody. No, his heart is broken. That was God's anointed. God had a great, Saul had a great opportunity. Saul blew it. David's heart was for all the heartbreak that was going to go through Israel in the midst of it. Now we're going to see later on in reference to his own life, for David's own life, when he's driven out of Jerusalem by his own son, by Absalom, there's gonna come a guy by the name of Shimei. And while David's walking along there, he's leaving Jerusalem because Absalom's taking over. And Shimei, he's up here on the hill. He's, he's yelling down curses at David. And he's telling him, you know, what a, what a, what a bloodthirsty guy he is, what a murderer. He's throwing rocks at David and everything. You think, man, we could take that guy's head off right now. We don't. But David, again, with the heart, says, hey, let him curse. Perhaps the Lord has told him, curse David. I wish I had that kind of heart. I, I, I wish that when the enemy or someone in the flesh attacked me, that I would immediately go to this. It usually takes a while. Okay, sometimes it takes a long while. But I do try to get there, and I think we all ought to. So now after Saul's death, it's time to rally the nation together. And, uh, because again, here the Philistines, they're, they're still out there. They're still ready for, for battle. And now they're, the king of Israel is dead. So that just really pumps them up. They're ready to go. So following the Lord's direction, David and his men returned to Judah, to the city of Hebron. And the men of Judah anoint David as their king there in chapter two. But thus far, the rest of the nation hasn't followed. As a matter of fact, Abner, the, the former commander of Saul's army, he goes and he finds Ishbosheth, who is another one of Saul's sons that hadn't died in the battle, and he sets him up as king of Israel. And that arrangement stayed in place actually for seven and a half years. We see that in chapter 2, verse 11, that Ishbosheth stays as the king of Israel for seven and a half years. Now, Abner was the leader of Saul's army. A fellow by the name of Joab is the commander of David's forces, the army now of the tribe of Judah. Now, Abner remained as the commander of Ishbosheth. Boy, that's a hard name to say. Izzi's, of Izzi's army. They're the army of Israel. So you got these two men, Abner and Joab. And there's a lot of respect that these guys have for each other. In fact, in the past, they had actually worked together with no real problem. 
but yet now they are at odds against each other as David has become king, uh, primarily just over Judah and Ishbosheth. He's become king over the other tribes. And so one day they find themselves uh, kind of face to face at uh, the pool of Gibeon. And there in chapter two, we, we find out that uh, they decide, well, instead of us fighting each other, why don't we send some of our men to fight? I'll send 12 guys, you send 12 guys. We'll see how it goes. And well, they send 12 of their best warriors, just like you would. And he sends 12 of his best warriors, just like they would. And so they go and suddenly it's when they get to each other, they grab each other. And both of them thrust the sword and they're killing each other. All 24 guys die. And you think that didn't solve anything. And then all of a sudden both the armies rise up and they start this big battle. Well, in the midst of this, we find that David's army, Joab, the commander, the, the army of Judah, is actually getting the edge over the army of Israel. So Abner, like any good commander, he starts running away. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. You don't run away if you're the commander. But as he's running away, the brother of Joab starts running after him. And so and his name was Ajael. And down in verse 23, we, we see he's pursuing Abner. And, he's, and, and he, the word tells us he's as fast as a gazelle. So as Abner's running along, he sees this guy and he knows him. He knows who he is. He's, he's been with him before. They're, 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 they were part of the same army at, at one time. And he knows that he's fast. And so in verse 23, he, or before that, he tells him, hey, turn around. Turn to the left, turn to the right. Don't keep going. But verse 23 says, however, Ajael refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner turned around struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. And so it was that as many as came to the place where Ajael fell down and died, they stood still. Well, what was respect at one time between Joab and Abner now develops as hate. Joab absolutely hates Abner, he's going to look for any opportunity, any chance that he can to kill him because Abner had killed his brother. Sometime after this, Ishbosheth, king of all of Israel now, he accuses Abner of actually having relations with one of Saul's concubines. After Saul had died in battle, the concubines were still there, and they were kind of a, uh, a symbol of leadership. They were a symbol of authority because they were Saul's concubines, and Ishbosheth had, again, control over them. He accuses Abner of having relations with him. Now, if it were true, that would have been a pretty strong stance of taking over the place of Saul. I've now got his concubines. We find this later when, when Absalom does this with David's uh, uh, little harem. And, but at the same time, it would have also been a real major slap in the face of King Ishbosheth. So in his anger, following the accusation, Abner then works at bringing all the army of Israel and all, all the people of Israel then over to King David. He says, you know what, if you're going to treat me that way, I kind of like David anyway, even though he's now our enemy because he's the king of Judah. But you know what, I'm going to see what I can do about making a deal. I'm going to bring my army, going to bring all the people, Ishbosheth, and you're going to be the king of nothing. And so he works at that. He comes to David with 20 of his men, and they swear allegiance to him. 
And we find there in uh, chapter 3, verse 21, Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that they may reign over all that your heart desires. And so David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Everything was working out here. David, you know, man, this is the timing of the Lord. This this is great. I'm I'm not fighting. I'm not struggling about this thing. I'm allowing the Lord work through. Abner figures he's got this thing worked out. He's going to then again be on David's side. The problem was David's then commander, Joab, he still hated Abner for the death of his brother, Ajael. So he set an ambush and he killed Abner. Not only did David mourn the loss of Abner, but this also set up a pretty good divide between David and his commander, Joab. It never was the same. In chapter four, we read, after the death of Abner, two of the captains of Ishbosheth's army, they decided it was their duty to murder Ishbosheth. They said, well, look, we might as well all go over to, to Judah. We might as well let David be our king. So let's kill Ishbosheth. Then all the people, everything, we're going to have one king. We're going to be united under David. They thought that that was a pretty good idea. So they waited until the afternoon when he was taking his little nap. And while he was taking his little nap, they went in, they stabbed him, says in the stomach, they killed him. Then they decided to really show David how much they loved David. They cut off Ishbosheth's head, brought it to David and said, look, look at what a good thing that we've done. But you ought to know by now, David honors the position of the king. And so in chapter four, verse nine, David answered Rechab and Bana, the two army captains, his brother and the sons of Ribnon, the, the Beriathite, and said to them, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity when someone told me, look, Saul is dead, thinking that they brought me good news. I arrested him and I had him executed in Ziglag, the one who thought he would give me or I would give him a reward for his news. So how much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed, therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? Verse 12, so David commanded his young men and they executed them and they cut off their hands and feet and hanged them by the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. David took pretty serious this whole thing of what a king is. Again, the, the responsibility that is there, the calling that is there. He didn't take it lightly at all. And when you see that on how he took that for those that were against him, i.e. like Saul and Ishbosheth, it helps us to be able to understand David's understanding of the importance of the anointing of God in his own life to be king of Israel. He didn't take that lightly. Now, we know later he blows it. He got some foolish things. That's absolutely true. Why? Because not only was he a warrior king, he was a man of flesh. And sometimes that warrior king allowed the flesh to overrule rather than follow the heart of God. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. The word tells us that. But we also know that even those with a heart for God, at times we allow our flesh to get in the way. 
Every time man tries to advance a cause in his own strength and in his own understanding, God just seems to kind of have this way of of bringing back the balance. And these two captains thought, hey, we'll bring this about. Uh, Joab thought that he was going to do the right thing. That Amalekite guy thought that he was going to do the right thing. All these guys, but yet God brings about the balance. When Abner was gone after Abner had been killed, there was probably a pretty good chance that Ishbosheth probably would have advocated the throne again to David because, again, from everything that we read, he was not a strong character at all. But, again, instead, these two captains, these two leaders themselves, they took it upon themselves to usher in the will of God in their own timetable. Warning, warning, warning. Big flashing sign. Do not try to rush the will of God in your life. When we try to do that, I guarantee you, we're going to mess things up because God has a better plan than you and I could ever imagine. Allow God to work his time frame. Allow God to work his will in our life. He'll let you know. He'll give you clarity. He'll give you, again, agreement with another brother or another sister. He'll give you an agreement in prayer. He'll give you agreement through the Spirit speaking to your life. He'll give you agreement through a confirmation through his word. He'll let you know his will and his timing. Once we get over to chapter 5, We read that now all of Israel has come to David and they've anointed him as king of Israel. David, how many years? 15 years, I believe it was, that David, from the time that he was anointed until the time that he became king, waiting on God, not rushing it. Opportunities to step in, opportunities to take charge. But he waited on the Lord, waited on the Lord. As a matter of fact, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months when he was just the king of Judah. And then he went to Jerusalem, and there he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. We find that chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Well, now that David had established the security of his position as king over Israel, he moved upon the city of Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem, uh, in, in the midst of all of the conquests that had been made when, when Joshua and the children of Israel came into the promised land, Jerusalem was one city that they, they never did really overcome. Uh, the Jebusites ran it. And uh, you, you think that Jericho was a formidable city, but there was just something about Jerusalem, where it was located, how it was located. They never were able to, again, get the conquest of Jerusalem. And now David sets his sights for the city of Jerusalem. And actually in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 11, which is parallel to what we're reading here, uh, we, we see that it was David's commander, Joab, that actually was able to sneak into the city and allowing David's uh, men then to get into the city and defeat the Jebusites, captured the city for David. Uh, in the book of uh, Chronicles, we find, in essence, a parallel of the events that we read in Second Samuel as well as in the Kings. What we see in the book of Samuel and in the books of Kings is more of a secular, more of a uh, almost, I wouldn't say a worldly viewpoint, but more of a, a political viewpoint of the events that were going on. Open your eyes. 
Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.